Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Josh Spodek, and I'm here with Tony Hansen again. Tony, how are you doing? Great. Thank you, Josh. Nice to be back. Glad to have you here. Now, I'm going to tell people what I, I know a little bit, but not much. I know I had this feeling that when you said you would take as long as you took, it's been a month or so, I thought, I bet this guy is going to do something right away. And so I emailed and found out that you did something sooner, but that wasn't enough. And he wanted to make sure that he got the full experience. And so I haven't heard anything more than that, but I've been on pins, not pins and needles, at the, I've been at the edge of my seat. And I'm curious to hear how things have gone. But before you tell me how things have gone, I want to start by asking you, do you remember, or first, is it, is it cool to start with that? Is there anything else to start with before? No, I, I think that's a good place to start. Okay. So before asking how things went, do you remember what you told me about your what nature meant to you that led you to commit to something? I probably don't remember the specifics, but all I know is is that nature is at the very core of my essence and is my balancing factor in life. And if I don't, in some shape or form, access a little bit of nature every day, I feel myself unbalanced. And fortunately, I know how to get back into balance. And it's, it is as simple as getting back into nature. And it, it doesn't have to be a dramatic uh, full immersion for a long time. It can be as simple as walking walking the dog on the hill. Well, I remember more detail because you were, of my many guests, yours was as vivid as I remember anyone's. And also it was something I couldn't imagine because I've not been to Botswana. I've only seen video of it and nor have I been on the, if I remember right, vineyards in South Africa. And you told me about your experiences there. I, I it was just, I, I don't think my imagination got close to the, the real thing. Well, yes, but those two experiences shared are, are were very evocative and special. And you know, I just think symbolic of, of if you open the door to nature, what you can experience. Yeah, now that you put it that way, I just watched the My Octopus Teacher, which I guess I didn't see it when it came out. And he, a lot of people talked about how the video was so amazing, and it was, for those who haven't seen it. And also, it started off by him simply going out to nature every day, and it ended up being roughly a year. And my biggest takeaway was that if someone goes to nature nearby them in whatever way, it could be just a tree. They, I think there's as much to discover for anyone as someone. I mean, he found, he happened to find that particular octopus and that particular place to go swimming. And by the way, he, he mentioned the swimming was like really cold and yet he kept doing it. And I think anyone can access that level of something to appreciate and love in nature just as much, no matter where they are. I feel like that was something you just communicated. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And in that specific story, which is just a fantastic story with incredible visuals, I think in addition to the experiencing nature, I think it was a, a journey of therapy for him too. And you know, it was interesting to see how you can get more than just the appreciation, but there can be a healing that takes place during that process. Yeah, now I'm going to keep this digression going. Uh, apologize to the listeners who can't wait to hear Tony's experience also. But I think that a lot of people think like nature can be restorative. And I'm going to say something that's probably logically equivalent 
But a different way of looking at it is that lack of nature is damaging. And I think up until recently, most humans, nature was available. You could just walk to solitude among the trees or to a beach without a helicopter flying overhead, without plastic on the shore. And the lack of it, I think we take, we, we don't recognize something deeply missing. Like one of the ways I often put it is that people get mind-body like too much mind, not enough body, you get unbalanced. Too much body, mind, whatever the other, too much of one and not enough of the other, things are unbalanced. And some will say mind, body, spirit, or God. And I think nature is as important. It's like legs of a stool. And if you take that leg away, it's really unbalanced. But since we never had to try, we could take for granted that it was there. Now that billions of us live without access to nature, like just something like walking along trees, I think we're really damaging ourselves. And I'm not just saying that like casually. I mean, really causing a lot of the damages we see to ourselves. Yeah, it is hard. That whole intrinsic value of nature, I think because there's no easy way to quantify it, I think people don't recognize what they what's missing in their lives when they don't have it. But I think at a core spiritual level, it's a problem if it goes on for too long. I take it that's why you do your, I think you said you do a daily walk, a daily experience of nature? Yeah, I, every day I'll try and do something outdoors and you know, some days it'll, it'll be you know, a day of skiing or kayaking or riding a bike or hiking and other days, busy days, it might might be as simple as walking the dog along the road at night because that's, that's all I had time for. But a little bit of something outside just makes that difference. <laughs> yeah. Now, when we talked about Botswana and South Africa, I invited you to think of something for you to do based on the emotions that it evoked to hopefully to re-evoke those emotions or create them. Do you remember what you came up with? Yeah, I decided that I would like to get involved in something that I always said I would do when I retire. It seems that's not about to happen in any near-term future. <laughs> it was the concept of, of volunteering in some physical way, being outside in nature. And on our call, what I thought the best opportunity would be to go and volunteer for one of the trail organizations in central Oregon. There's the most incredible network of trails in the area where we live in, in Bend, in Oregon. And the trails for hiking, for riding, for cross-country skiing. And there's this literally this army of volunteers that build, maintain, and manage these trails. And... During our discussion, it just dawned on me, and I, I looked at this and thought about it whenever I'd been on the trails. But I thought, you know, now is the time. Let me see if I can take up this challenge, connect with one of these organizations, and start something which will hopefully be an ongoing journey for me. I want to ask if it was, it's just kind of been sitting there for a long time. How come you didn't do it before? We all make excuses in life for those things that take a little bit of extra energy and don't have to happen right now. So, you know, my excuse was we still have kids at home. 
I have a demanding job. I have passions, maybe selfish passions for getting out into nature and the limited free time I have on the weekends. So I thought I would do this when I had a little bit more time on my plate. But our conversation helped me recognize that, you know, this doesn't have to be every single moment of free time. It's it's more a matter of create some space, experience it, and see what happens. So I I took your challenge and did that. So that's what that was the beginning. How did it go? Can you walk us through from the last call until you know? I, I guess there's planning and contacting, and maybe the contact took some explanation. Or how did things go? It was harder to find an opportunity than I thought. That's a combination of it being late in the season, sort of when I started looking, it was sort of mid to late fall. So initial snow had fallen. So a lot of the the programs had shut down. So I literally contacted six different organizations and signed up for them and on, on their list. But the only one that was available for volunteering during the weekend was actually the Meisner Nordic Club, which is a cross-country skiing club in the Bend area. And they've been running for a good 60 plus years. And I regularly go out and ski on the trails. And they were looking for help with clearing the trails for winter. And they have a lodge where people meet and gather and they needed to cut and stack a huge amount of firewood to uh, to prepare for the winter. So uh, that was the one opportunity that I took on in, I think it was probably late October, early November. And uh, that was the start of what will hopefully be a, a colorful journey with them and, and the other organizations. You described at the beginning a hurdle. I mean, you, you called up a bunch of places and not all got back to you or things didn't work out. Was that frustrating? Was it demoral? I mean, because a, a lot of people like what they do when they start, but starting is a hurdle. Was it some trying to see if it was worth it? If you would have, what was that like at the beginning? There was definitely some inertia to overcome. So, you know, I literally spent an hour, probably a couple hours, you know, contacting people through websites and emails. They all had an application process, did that. Yeah, it was mildly inconvenient, but I think the fact that I'd made a commitment made me persist and something came through. So which which, you know, I was grateful for. And now I am signed up with these five or six organizations and I'm assuming as as the spring and the summer comes through and opportunities open up, I will be contacted. Well, sounds like you're, I was going to say a change of identity, but it's not really a change of identity, but it's um, connecting with community. Yeah. And I think that is one of the, that came across in our last conversation. I think as we were talking, it made me realize, you know, I, I've always felt very connected to South Africa, the the place, nature, the people. And it's been harder in my 15 years in the US to connect deeply with community and volunteering, this whole thought of volunteering made me recognize as long as one's doing it in an area which one can connect with, there is an opportunity to connect deeper with the place and with the people. So I think it's, it's a really interesting avenue to explore, which, you know, literally in the early phases of that, but certainly in, in, in the day I spent with the Meisner Nordic Club and 
you know, cutting huge amounts of firewood, carting it up a hill and stacking it in the lodge. It was a really good connection with three generations of people, you know, from kids, kids that are eight years old through to elderly men and women and probably in their 80s and a very colorful crew who are all out there on the volunteer party and then are also out there throughout the winter skiing. Yeah, can you tell us more about the experience? Uh, getting there, getting started, talking to people, cutting, I presume you're swinging an axe and carrying heavy stuff. Are you? I, I'm picturing you with a red plaid shirt and looking like Paul Bunyan. Exactly. I, I try to dress the part, but uh, you know, fortunately, access was very easy. It's a 20-minute drive out. There's always the hurdle when you show up and you know no one. But I got over that and was given a task. And over the three or four hours that I spent there, I did everything from uh, um, operating a, a splitter through to uh, using an axe to split wood. And then I must have pushed about 200 wheelbarrows filled with wood up a hill into the lodge and stacked it against the wall. So uh, it was a, a lot of fun, really cheerful group of people and great attitudes. And everyone had as much work as they wanted to take on. That's weird because I, I was thinking how if someone had said, we're going to pay you to do this, the exact labor, but not connected with any volunteering, like how you, they probably couldn't afford to pay you to do it. And you, it would probably be miserable. Yes, it's an interesting thing, Josh. You know, I've I've always enjoyed physical work, and I've been I have done lots of it for no payment and uh, lots of it for little payment in, uh, during my life. But it's uh, but for me, doing that kind of volunteer work is it's a lot of fun because it is physical. It's with people. There's kind of a, an end goal and always when you're doing physical labor you can actually see progress it's very tangible it's it's somewhat harder in consulting when you're preparing a powerpoint deck um you can spend hundreds of hours in something and you still just have a bunch of slides so uh there's something very satisfying about doing the physical work where you can see the outcome so mckinsey doesn't have you chopping wood <laughs> <laughs> they haven't asked me yet but i'm willing <laughs> On the record. <laughs> <laughs> what, there's a, some Buddhist phrase. It's like at the beginning it's chop wood, climb mountains, then it becomes something else, then at the end it's chop wood, climb mountains. I forget. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the fetch wood, carry, uh, fetch wood, carry water or something like that. Yeah. I've heard that one. Yeah. So actually, I, I was just talking to, when I think McKinsey, I think travel. And I was just talking to someone who, I was talking about how travel these days is not what it used to be. In particular, we just we passively get taken from one place to another. And a lot of people describe this like magic. It's amazing. But he said his friend counted the number of steps he took to go from his place to LA. He took less than 800 steps of his own, like his own effort. And it felt to me like you could call that magic, but you can also call it like if I just take 801 steps, I've actually gotten more travel experience than he has. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how much cultural exchange he's gotten between New York and LA. Yeah, I think a lot of things for all of us are too easy today. You know, how we source our food, how we travel. 
how we communicate. You know, even in our short lifetimes, we can we can look at what it was like when we were kids and what's like now. And you know, it's certainly a lot of things happen with a lot less effort, a lot a lot less money, a lot less time, and you know, there's obviously the efficiency side. Maybe that is, maybe that isn't a good thing, but I think something's lost in things being as easy as they are today. Yeah, I would say, I mean, appreciation and fulfillment, the satisfaction of a job well done, but ultimately meaning and mm-hmm. purpose. Yep. Yeah. I agree that there's something hugely valuable about coming up with a project using your hands and physical efforts and shared labor to deliver that project. Yeah. It just makes me think like one of the one of my most fun projects that I was involved in using my hands in where we last lived in California was we uh our neighbors had some forested land and we decided to build a bar in the woods. And it was a bunch of guys who we'd got together and we used to do various volunteer projects and have some social built around that. And we decided that it would be quite fun to have a meeting place. And so we, over a period of time, collected a bunch of materials and over probably four or five weekends, we built this very rustic shack with a wood-burning fireplace in the woods. And unbeknownst to us, it was a salvation over COVID because COVID started about two months after we'd finished the bar. And this gave us a place to convene as friends during those intense six months of COVID. And we just sort of, we had an honor gathering, you know, if you had any indication of illness, you wouldn't show up. And if you're perfectly healthy, you would get together and have a good time. And and it's, it really was a solace during those, those first strange six months. Yeah, I'm thinking of, I didn't have a natural experience at that time and not envy, but yeah, that sounds like it worked out very well. For this project, uh, with the wood and the, the, the volunteering, what was the emotional experience for this? And not just the uh, the time actually volunteering, but the whole thing from talking to me, last conversation, to the planning, to the doing, to reflecting afterward. What, were, what was the emotional experience? It impacted me on many levels. You know, I think on the first level, it was it was good to engage in something that I knew I wanted to do but hadn't created the time to do it, as in volunteering. It was good to engage in something which I believe is really valuable for other people, which is you know creating easy access to nature. So by creating these trails, by creating a warm place, it gives other people access to nature. It was really meaningful to have this sense of connection with other people who had a shared purpose. You know, the, the the mission was to clear the trails and cut the firewood and and stash it so so there was a warm place over the winter. So that that felt good. It also piqued my appetite for getting more engaged in other volunteer projects and and also in 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 just uh I guess generosity as a whole. I think on our discussion, we discussed there was a book, one of my favorite books, the Book of Joy by the Dalai Lama and and Bishop Tutu. And 
the in that book, uh, Tutu explains the three pillars of joy, which are having a positive attitude, gratitude, and generosity. And I always think that the generosity piece is one of the least appreciated factors of joy and and opportunities, in fact, for for any human being. And you know, it's it's almost a selfish act because if if you have an act of generosity, you get back much more than you give. It's a hugely fulfilling outcome. So anyway, it really sort of piqued that experience for me and it resulted in uh, a strong family conversation about generosity and volunteering and donating and all the three other members of our family engaged in that in their different ways. And, you know, I think it's it's created a, an overall awareness that, you know, we need to we need to make the effort to keep this part of our lives and there are good things that will come from it, from whatever we work work we do uh for others, but also for ourselves we will we will feel like better human beings doing this. So meaningful, generous. I, I couldn't help it when you said being generous is almost selfish. The word Orwellian came to mind of like using the opposite things, but it's not Orwellian because Orwellian is like peace is war, but generosity is selfish. It Interesting. Yeah, you kind of wish that it was more intuitive, but you know, it's, you, you feel, you feel it once you've done that act of generosity, whatever it is, you, you get a, a really positive feedback loop and it's not necessarily intuitive in, in our you know, the free market capitalist system doesn't doesn't help encourage that, unfortunately. So one does have to venture out a little bit and give it a try. Yeah, this yes, it's it's not valued, not with dollar signs. The you, you talked about the interactions with the people there, and about your family. If I read that right, how did this affect your relationships with other people? I would say the the volunteering piece, it's very much the beginning. I met a bunch of great people. One person I've I've started paddling with, uh, kayaking on a regular basis, and I'm sure I'll meet more when the when the the ski season starts, which seems to be imminent. But I think there was just a a, a general more openness as to you know how do I do more of this stuff, and that's spread onto a family conversation, and how do we collectively do more of this. We uh, we had some involvement because we we spent a year in Maui during COVID. We had some we established some very good friendships, and some of those friends were impacted by the fires in Maui. So we were able to help volunteer and donate in various ways with that project. And then again, also we we've been actively engaged in in various other volunteering in Bend, and that's sort of respectively, both my daughters and my wife. Anything, amiss, it just sounds like an unmitigated, joyful experience. I'm not, maybe not joy, but pot, yeah, joy. I mean, you mentioned that with uh, the Dalai Lama's book. Any downsides? Anything I missed that wasn't like, it just sounds like you're describing it as a very positive experience. And yeah, I, you know, I wouldn't say any downsides. I would say, you know, the inertia one has to overcome is, you know, put some effort in. So create the space and commit the time. 
But I think if you're willing to do that, the positive feedback loop is is very strong. Now, for me, in my life, an experience like this led to a series of, uh, to me, it, had a, it gave me a mindset shift, an epiphany that led to, since I was surprised, like, I figured if I told you that about 10 years ago, I challenged myself to go for a week without packaged food. Right. And I, there was no Spodic method at the time. There was no anticipate. Actually, I thought at the time that it was going to be a really terrible week. I thought I was going to miss out on the amazing food that New York City has. And instead, I found that I liked it. And that led to this mindset shift. And looking back now, I see that it led to a process of continual improvement, including unplugging my apartment, not flying, and things like that. Does it, is this changing much or is it a reinforcement of what you anticipated? Do you see it changing you with regard to stewardship, either yourself or the people you lead or people you work with? I do think it's the beginning of increased awareness. You know, I have volunteered before. I haven't done a lot of it for quite a while. And I think it's really, there has been a shift in that this this will be part of my life going forward and on a regular basis. And, you know, again, I, I've always, it's interesting you use the word stewardship because it's something I've used a lot in my work and over the years. And I, and I just think it's a, a critical thing. I often use the, the term stewardship around nature and looking after nature, whether that be a a country or a private landowner or whatever it might be. But I it's interesting you're using this in the frame of, of volunteering because I think that is a necessary part of stewardship for any community to function well is, you know, for hopefully the majority of people to give back in some shape or form. So I don't know where it's gonna go, but I certainly think I'm gonna use it more. And there may well be analogies in my work. I'm not, I'm not clear on that yet, but I will check in with you down the line. Uh, you might be interested in the workshops that I lead of teaching the Spodic Method and how to do it and how to lead others with it and the community that forms of when a bunch of people do it together and everyone hears their experiences. Like you've had your experience and you were volunteering. You were in, I guess, on a mountain and others would do something very differently. It's, I'm not trying to pitch it here, not to you. Well, not, not to you either, but it's really, now that I've done it a bunch of times, it's restorative, generosity, and I learn as much as anybody doing these things. But I really think that it's, it's uh, the Spodic method is this evoking intrinsic motivation and, and inviting people to think of a way for them to act on their intrinsic motivation that generally they haven't been transformative. You know, I, I discovered as creating this mindset shift, this epiphany. And I don't know, I'm just riffing on it, on what you said. Yeah, I look forward to hearing more about it. You know, I, I think there is a process of awakening. You know, I, I think many things as human beings, we have somewhere stashed away in our in our collective beings. And sometimes they require some form of awakening. 
And that awakening, I think, is what gives that intrinsic motivation to to do something more, do something differently. And through that action of doing something differently, you can build momentum. And you know, as as happened with you with you know, stepping away from eating packaged foods, it's it created a whole part. And I and I think there's that potential for everyone who does that in some shape or form. And I and I re- I really think it's it's a sort of a, a self examination wish or reflection that we should try and practice. And maybe the Spodic method is is you know, it's one of one of those tools, approaches to enable that awakening. Now, I'm going to extrapolate a bit here and tell me if I've gone too far. I think you were talking and I was talking about on the individual level. I think this awakening and a path of continual improvement can be had at a, that also at a cultural level for whole societies, whole nations, even more than nations, as well as companies. And I think that if you don't go through it yourself, it's virtually impossible to lead others through it on the bigger scale. So I think if someone wants to lead cultural transformation, and I, I don't think we can get out of our environmental predicament without changing culture. I don't think we can do it without individually. Systemic change begins with personal change is how I often put it. But I think that it's like, I see, I don't know if this sounds too negative, but I feel like a lot of environmental work and, and what they intend to be leadership is like smokers telling others to stop smoking, giving them all the facts why they should, but not stopping themselves. And so they don't know the challenge isn't the lack of facts. It's it's the emotional and social skills and, and role models. And have I extrapolated too far to say that if we haven't gone through it ourselves, it's it's difficult to do it with others. But if we have done it ourselves, it's it's great to bring it to others. I yeah, I fully agree with you. I think it is one of the big stumbling blocks we have with our environmental challenges is, you know, very few have done what you've done in, you know, changing diet, changing travel, or stopping travel, or stopping- Stopping flying, still traveling. Yeah, stopping air travel. And, you know, there's some there's some inconvenience and discomfort in doing that more. And- I think very few are willing to do that. And I think by not doing it, one, you don't recognize what it takes. Two, you don't recognize the benefits of it. And three, you can't credibly convince others to stop doing that if you're not willing to do it. So I think there's there's no better way than trying it yourself because you speak with it, you know, you can then speak with some some authority, at least some awareness, as opposed to just saying, oh, we should do this, but not really intending to do it. I'm glad to hear that agreement, especially given the people that you work with and the communities that you work with. I, all right, I'm going to share with you something that I often say, and regular listeners have heard me say this a bunch, but you might be able to say better than me. All right, the way that you feel right now and the way that you're talking right now, I believe that someday when I sit down with the CEO of Exxon, say, I think that person has just as much connection and the environment means just as much to them. And I think that they will enjoy an interaction like this and want to talk more and it will change 
how they lead, you know, pick your company, Exxon or Monsanto or, you know, Starbucks or whatever, any of these big polluting companies. Am I, you've probably worked with more Fortune 100 CEOs than I have. Am I, what's the word, hoping for too much? Is it, or is this legit? No, I think it's, it's absolutely legit. You know, I've witnessed this with a number of leaders who have had a epiphany or transformational experience, and that has changed the course of what they've done and how they've led their company. And, you know, one example I can give, I, I don't think there's any sensitivity in sharing this, but it was the CEO of one of the largest energy producers and distributors in the US. And he had his epiphany that climate change was real and he needed to do everything in his power to move this company and the industry away from you know fossil fuels as much as realistic. And over four or five years, he did the most incredible work, you know, in starting new businesses, transitioning businesses, you know, real serious work towards energy transition. This was back uh, 12, 13 years ago. Unfortunately, he was eventually ousted by his board for having gone too far. Some would say he was, you know, exactly where he should be and should have been going harder. But there is this, you know, I think when you when you have it with corporations, certainly public corporations, there is this tension about how far and how fast a leader can go. But he was hugely popular amongst his his employees. The company did well while making these shifts, but it wasn't they weren't hitting the numbers that the board wanted, so he was eventually ousted. But he has continued to do amazing work in this area, so it certainly didn't change his trajectory. At first, I thought you were talking about interface carpet, but now I think you're talking about Paul. I forget his name, uh, but maybe you can't say the name. No, I, you know, I, I think it's fine to say the name. I, I think it, you know, it's David Crane. Uh, he was the CEO of NRG. I think you're maybe thinking of Paul Holkin, but you know, David is is another one of these heroes and he's now working in the Department of Energy. And, you know, what he did with NRG was phenomenal. And you can read a little bit about the story and you can find one of his, he wrote a few public open letters about why NRG were doing what they're doing. And, you know, absolutely inspiration. So, you know, back to your point, I think this is leaders can have these transformative experiences and literally shift their path. I think public leaders are, well, leaders of public companies are somewhat more constrained. But then, you know, you look at private companies and people like Yvonne Chenard, who has done exactly what uh, has run the company the way he thinks it needs to be run and, you know, trying to minimize impact on the environment. I really want to follow up, and I recognize we're running up against time here. Would you be game to continue this conversation on another episode? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. Got to get through the next month, but yes. And sometimes I would ask if people want to do another commitment, but I don't think we have time to do that with you. But um, if between now and then you want to want to continue the conversation, 
And because one of my main goals is not just to lead individuals through these changes, but to lead companies and ideally nations and humanity through these changes. But I'm also, I'd also love to hear if, if you, so I want to continue that conversation, but if the volunteering leads to more, I'd love to hear more about that as well. Yeah, very, very happy to have the conversation. And I'm, I'm curious to see where it leads to and both, both in the sort of local volunteering and, you know, if it leads to new insights, different approaches in my work. Well, that makes two of us. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we'll pick up, a, pick up somewhere around here next time, but anything to close with, anything I didn't think to ask or the things that happened that are worth sharing? No, I, th- I think the main thing, Josh, is just you know gratitude from my side to uh, to you for kind of prompting me in this, and certainly even in the very you know I'm at the very early initial stages. I it's it's really helped with a lot of positive emotions, and I have and that's helped my commitment to continue it and be open to where it takes me. Well, I'll see your gratitude and raise your gratitude back because this is one of these calls that inspires me back to do some volunteering or something like that. Well, Tony Hansen, thank you very much. Thank you, Josh. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, There's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.